Hi, and welcome to the Willow Ridge Church Weekly Podcast. This is where you can find audio for our current and past sermons. We hope that you enjoy this week's installment, and be sure to check back next week to hear the latest message. Thanks for listening. If y'all have got your Bibles, go ahead and open them up with me this morning. Uh, We're going to be in 1 John chapter 4. Uh, In just a moment, we'll start in verse 17. Um, For our first-time guests, I just want to echo what Pastor Dave said. We're so glad that you're here. We're so glad that you've decided to be with us today. Now, there is a football game today. Um, It's the Super Bowl. I typically don't talk about football a whole lot, even though I love football, but I am curious. I've had a lot of people ask me um, if I'm a Kansas City Chief, if I'm pulling for them, or am I pulling for the Philadelphia Eagles? And so I just want to say that I don't, I don't care. Um, I, you know, my Green Bay Packers uh, watch their season go out the window with the defeat by the Detroit Lions, which is just a terrible place to be, but, but that's where we are. So here's what I'd like to do. Here's what I've decided. I've been inspired by Patrick Tatushinsky to ask this questions and see. So here's what I'd like. Not if you are polling for one of the teams, but if you are a fan of either one of the teams. If you're a fan, like this means this is who you pulled for all year, not that you just just like Patrick Mahomes, not that you just like Jalen Hurts, but you're a fan. So raise your hand if you are a Kansas City Chiefs fan. One, two, we got the Morgan family. Is that about it? Is that about it? There we go. All right, all right, all right. Now raise your hand if you are a fan of the Philadelphia Eagles. Oh, 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 oh. So Morgans, I'm sorry. But I'm going to go with the Philadelphia Eagles tonight, right? I just got swatted at by Mike, which is, is not a good feeling, but I love you, brother. All right. Uh, so that's what we're going to do. We'll, we'll go. What would you say, Shane? Go birds. All right, so I'll be chanting go birds tonight at the Bradbury House with watching the Super Bowl. Um, But excited to be here with you guys this morning, excited to dive into this. It is a cold and nasty and wet morning today, but it is good to be in God's house, and it is good to open up his word. Have you ever felt like you're living in a problem? You know, like, you just can't fix it. You just can't get out of it. You just can't get out of your way. It seems like everywhere you go, the greater the problem becomes, and it's always before you. I feel like when John is writing this letter, he's writing it in a mindset that there's this group of people who are largely living in this problem. And and the problem, and we're going to look at this, is that come judgment day, John wants them to face it with fearless confidence. But that what he's dealing with is a group of people who either don't have faith in Christ, but think they do, or they do have faith in Christ, but their faith in Christ is at such a level of immaturity that they can't live in the confidence of who they are in Christ and in return of the Lord. And so what, what John is pleading with them continually over and over and over again is that he desires this church, he desires us to live in this confidence 
this fearless confidence at the return of Christ. Now this morning, I, I pulled Berger aside. I was like, hey, can, can we do this? Can we make this work for this week? And he said, he said absolutely. So this, what we're supposed to do this morning is start in chapter 4, verse 17, and go all the way through uh, chapter 5, verse 12. But, but we're not going to do that, okay? And, and what we're going to do today is just look at chapter 4, verse 17, 18, and 19, but then, because I want us to continue on in our series, and, and Pastor Dave is going to be preaching next week, starting in verse 13. And so what, I, what I'm going to do is, is later this week, and we'll send it out through email, we'll send it out through social media, is I'm just going to do a, a little video of teaching through the remainder of these verses. But, but I really want us to, to land in and, and to focus in on chapter 4, verses 17 through 19 of 1 John, because I feel like everything that we've been pressing towards that what John does in these three verses is he sums it up with this high level of authority from, from, from God to say, here's what I've been talking about. Here's what I'm impressing on. Here's what it means that we can stand in confidence in who we are in Christ at the return of the Lord. Here's everything from chapter 1 until now wrapped up in these three verses. Verses. So we're going to take our time and just, and just focus in on these this morning. So let's look. I'm going to read 1 John chapter 4, verses 17 through 19. And John writes and says this, By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. And so this morning, we're going to look at four words or four phrases that are embodied in these three verses. The first that we're going to look at is perfected in verse 17. Then we're going to look at confidence in verse 17. And then at the end of verse 17, as he is, so also are we. And then we're going to jump down to 19 and see that he first loved. And that in these phrases, what we can draw from this is the confidence that we stand in Christ. And the first one is this. The biblical truth of what John is pressing us toward in love perfected. He says this, by this is love perfected with us. Now perfect is a hard word for us to grasp. Because I'm going to ask you, like, what do you know that is truly perfect? Very little, if not anything. But, but here in, in, in Scripture, you know, we have a, this wasn't originally written in English. And, and so sometimes there's these translation struggles that we have to work through. And the, and the best definition of a word isn't oftentimes found in just one word. But in order to, to, for it to make sense and flow, we, it's been done that way. So I want us to understand what is John saying when he says love perfected. What does he mean by perfected? Well, it's this, John doesn't mean flawless, the way we would think of something that is perfected. 
And the word John uses here is a word that other places in Scripture means finished, completed, or accomplished. And so when we look at this and we see by this love perfected with us, what we see is by this love perfectedly completed with us. Now you're like, Bo, I'm a work in progress. Well, yes and amen, so am I. So I want to paint a silly but maybe accurate picture of what I mean by this. Have any of you ever taken on a project around your house that you are not qualified or capable of doing, but you decide you're going to do it anyways? Anybody else ever done that? I did that yesterday, all right? So let me walk you through the journey of my really starting Thursday. Thursday, Erin comes up to me and she says, hey, did you move clothes into the dryer? And I said, yes, I did. And she said, well, you forgot to press start because they're in the dryer and they're still wet. Now, that's not an uncommon thing for me to do, right? I oftentimes forget to do that. So I said, well, I'm sorry. So she went in and she restarted them. And after some time, the dryer goes off. We go up and we open the door and we reach in to grab our wet clothes still. So she came to me and she said, the dryer's not working. And I said, well, sounds like the heating element is out. Now, here's what I've done one time in my entire life. I've replaced a heating element. And in that, I was very, very, very confident that I can replace the heating element, I can impress my wife, and feel like more of a man this weekend, right? So Saturday, don't laugh at me too hard, Brandon. Saturday, we woke up, we went to Grayson's track meet, and I'm riding back from Grayson's track meet, and Aaron says to me, how long do you think it'll take for you to replace this heating element? Now, I have to make a decision at this point. What do I land on? And I said, I can do it in an hour. That hurts, by the way. Like, <laughs> that response just hurts. Well, my wife, not in sarcasm, but in wisdom, says to me, well, I'm going to add two to three hours to that because I know that sometimes it causes, you think something's going to take a certain amount of time and it takes longer. My feelings were hurt, right? My pride is starting to work. Like sin is happening in this moment in me, right? And so I go home and I get all the tools ready for everything I need. And I take my phone out. And I turn on the timer, and I press start. And I am in a mad dash to get this fixed. So I start taking a dry, this dryer apart. Now, here's what I found out. This dryer is only about two years old. And I didn't know this because we got a dryer, and I just plugged it into the wall. Like, this dryer can talk to your phone. And I took off the back panel and immediately hit panic as it looks like a computer. So I grab my phone and I start taking pictures. As I unscrew things, as I unplug things, picture, 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 picture. Because what I know is, let me, let me tell you the truth of, of where I've had to process through in almost 44 years of life. Whatever I take apart, I have to put back together again. And I'm not good at that, right? 
So picture, 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 picture. So I get the whole dryer taken apart. Unplug, unplug, unplug this wire, this wire, this wire, this wire. And there's one last wire that needs to be unplugged. It's the last wire that is connected to the heating element. It's a purple wire. And I reach back to unplug that purple wire, and it falls apart. It's burned. Now I've got a problem. I know how to replace a heating element. I don't know how to replace a burned up wire, all right? So I did what most of us at Willow Ridge Church do at that point. I called Brent Hawkins, all right? Brent's not in here today, so in just a moment, we're going to throw his cell phone number up on the screen. If you're ever in need of electrical help, call Brent. He especially likes calls late at night, right? So um, I call Brent, and my call for Brent was, man, I hope he can come over. And when Brent answered, Brent knew the Spirit spoke to him. And he answered his phone by saying, I'm halfway to North Carolina right now. Which tells me what Brent is saying is, whatever problem you've gotten yourself into, I cannot come over to fix. So I tell Brent about the problem. He says, I think your heating element is fine. I just think you need to replace this wire. Do you have these tools? No, I don't have these tools, Brent. Well, then you need to go to Lowe's. You need to fix it. And Brent like made a statement like, don't worry, anybody can do this, which again, kind of hurts, you know? It's okay, Bo, even you can do, anybody can do this. So I go to Lowe's, I get the stuff, I come back, I put it together, I promise this is connecting, right? Put it all back together, get everything going, everything, the, the, the wire is, is good, I think. And I start putting the dryer back together. And one of the things that became kind of difficult was getting the dryer belt on the drum. Couldn't quite see what I was doing so in a combination of flashlight with phone at the bottom of the dryer, I can kind of look at my phone and see and got it back together. Put the dryer back together. One last thing to do, but I can't quite see. So I go to reach to grab my flashlight. What are you laughing at? <laughs> I can't find my flashlight. Y'all know now what I didn't know then. I search everywhere for the flashlight. Where do you think the flashlight was? It was in the dryer. Yep, yep, yep. So I had to take it all apart again. Every bit of it. Every bit of the dryer came apart. Scattered all parts of this are now in my daughter's bedroom. Found the flashlight, get the flashlight out, start the process, putting it all back together again. This time I get the dryer completely put back together. And I'm getting ready to clean up my mess. And I look. And there's this metal plate about this big. And it's obvious that it came from the dryer. But the dryer's now put together, and this metal plate is sitting on top of the washer, which I'm pretty confident is not where it goes. So I start looking through my pictures. There's no plate. There's no plate. There's no plate. There's no plate. So guess what I did? I took the dryer all the way apart again. Because I was confident that in the bottom is where this goes, and it's not. So now I panic, and I start looking through Google images of my dryer. Here's what I found out. The very last thing you do in putting your dryer back together, which was where I was, is put this plate on the very back 
where there's this one little small hole about this big, but for whatever reason, Samsung gives you a plate this big to cover it up. So I put the whole dryer back together again. I put the plate on. I take a step back. Finished. Finished. So what do you think I did? I went and stopped my timer. That's right, I checked my time. Let me pull this up. Four hours. Thank you, Michelle. Five hours, two minutes, and 11 seconds later. Bradbury's dried towels last night. Now, Erin comes upstairs, everything's clean, and she says this question. Is it working? And I said, it's working, but here's the deal. Here's new rules. Number one, we cannot dry clothes while we are asleep. Number two, we cannot dry clothes when just the kids are at home. And we cannot dry clothes when, we all, when, when you and I aren't going to be here and no one's here at the house. And she said, why? And I said, because I put this back together and I'm deathly afraid that our house is going to catch on fire over some dish towels, right? But, but, but here's the thing. It's done. It's completed and I will receive your affirmations after service of telling me that if this whole thing falls apart, I can go work for an appliance repair specializing in the purple wire at the bottom of the Samsung dryer. dryer right? like, I got that. I got that. It, it, so so here's, here's the whole point of this, all right? When I walk through the process that took me five hours and two minutes, is my dryer perfect? No. No. Part I left out, there's five screws that are still sitting in my toolbox that came off of the dryer that I don't know where they go on the dryer, but we're just going to roll with it, right? Is it perfected? No. There's way more electrical tape than I should probably use on different spots of the dryer, but it's okay. Why? Why? Because it's done. It's done. Can adjustments be made? Yes. But is it finished? Yes. And so, all the way back to this, right? When John says, by this, love is perfected with us. Here's what this means. Are there adjustments that you and I need to make? Absolutely. Are we a finished product? completely done with where we want to be in our walk in Christ? No. But have we been completed in love of God for us? Absolutely. The, the second half of 1 John 4.12 says this, if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. God loves us and saves us, and now we know God's love and experienced it for ourselves. God's love doesn't stop with us experiencing it, but is perfected, is accomplished through our love, that God's love moves us to actions of love, and in this, love is perfected. I read a pastor this week, and he says this, perfect love 
is when you don't talk about the need to share Christ, you do it. It's when you don't talk about the hungry, you feed them. It's when you don't talk about floundering new believers in their faith, but instead you disciple them. This is the picture of perfected love. Do we still have room to grow? Absolutely. But is God's love perfected in us when it calls us and manifests itself in love for others? Yes, which is what John is pushing us toward. And so the next part that I want us to look at is to see is this confidently active. He says, so that we may have confidence on the day of judgment. We may have confidence on the day of judgment. So we've said over and over and over again. I think we looked at 13 different instances last week where John presses us toward that, that that is his goal, that we are confident on the day of judgment, that we're confident in the return of the Lord. But as we go through this, one of the things that hinders us in this that I hope we can take away is a truth. What we talked about on week one in 1 John 1, 8 is the fact that we aren't perfect. We still sin. Every one of us. 1 John 1, 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. We sin. I sin. You sin. Anyone on this earth that you think like, no, 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 not them. No, 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 they do. And if anyone says they don't sin, they don't know the Lord. They don't know the Lord. So let's, let's look, though, and try to understand our sin. Because how can we still sin but yet stand in confidence before Christ? So let's understand this in our lives. So before Christ, before we were saved, here's what happened. Here's the condition of our soul, the condition of our heart, is we sinned, and here's the truth, we loved it. We loved every part of it. There may be these pieces in our, in our moral compass is defined by society that when we do stuff that affected others that we knew we shouldn't do it, but yet the pursuit of our hearts were sinful. And this is who we were. And we, the Bible teaches us that in this, that we were dead in our trespasses and sin. This is who we were before Christ. And then whether it was at 6 or 66 or anywhere between or anywhere after, when Jesus saves us, what we understand is that he had paid the price of our sin with his death on the cross. And in that, his perfect life is imparted to us, and we are saved. So I now no longer stand in my condemnation, but I stand in his holiness and his righteousness. It's not just that he took our sin, which yes, amen, praise the Lord that he did, but he in turn gave us his perfection, his standing, and we are saved. And so now where we find ourselves in Christ is we still sin and Jesus still saves us. 
But our approach, our view, our determination of, of, of where we are with our sin is different. And so now as believers in Christ, bought and redeemed and purchased, instead of loving our sin, we hate our sin, we attack our sin, we fight against our sin, we bring others into a relationship with us so that we confess our sin and we repent our sin before him. Yes, we still sin but we've changed. We're different. And it's not who we are anymore. And so Jesus has saved us from our sin past, our sin present, our sin future. And now what dwells within us is this desire to no longer live sinfully, but we desire to live without sin in glorifying him. And when we do, we find his grace and his mercy. And it's the sweet spot of who we are in our walk with Christ. And so we have our confidence in our standing because we are confidently active in our faith. This is what it means to be confident, is that our faith is what we are confidently active in. I read this week, an author said, we don't gain confidence by being sinlessly perfect. We gain confidence by putting our money where our mouth is. We think back to 1 John 3, 18, when John says, Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. That's what John is saying here. Let us not love in just the things that we say and those catchphrases that we've clung to, but let us, let us love indeed in truth but it's not only what we say but it's who we are and then therefore it's what we do so how do we gain confidence if you're here this morning and you're like but there's this fear at the return of the lord here's here's what i would plead to you stop talking about your faith and live it out stop talking about the things that need to be done and instead do them. Ask yourself the question, am I, observer on, am I an observer on the sideline or I'm in the game doing it? A few years ago, I'll never forget this conversation. I was on a mission trip. And, and I'm sitting there and it's, it's been a long, hard day of work. And there's somebody on the mission trip who, who made a statement that stood out to me that, that caused me to ask them a, a follow-up question. And as we're sitting there and, and we're relaxing after a long, hard day of work, they made this statement. The statement was, I've never felt closer to God than I do right now. I've heard that statement before. I probably said that statement before myself. And I, I just asked them the question, well, what do you mean by that? Help, help me understand like, what's going on right now in, in the events of this day to cause you to say, I've never felt closer to God than I do right now. And, and I'll never forget this conversation. It was much longer than, than these two sentences, but I hope this, this kind of encompasses what they were, what they were getting to. They, they, they said, you know, on this trip, I just serve others and focus on Jesus. And all the other distractions of my life are gone. And basically what they're saying is, I can just love God 
and I can just love others. And all of the other things have gone away. And I've never felt more closer to God than I do right now. I think what this individual was, was sharing with me is the truth of 1 John 3.18. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. So many times we know the things that need to be done. We know the things that we need to do. We know the people that we need to share with. We know the hope that we need to bring. We know the actions that need to be done. We know, we know, we know, we know, we know, we know, we know. But we, we choose something else. And in that, we, we try to love and word and talk, but not in deed and truth. I want to ask you this, in your faith, is your money where your mouth is? Is it truly not just the things that we say, but are they truly the things that we are acting out? I ask you the question this morning, who are you serving? How are you living on mission? Who are you praying for? Who are you actively seeking to share the hope and joy of Jesus Christ with. We would all agree, I hope, that that needs to be done. But the question is, for all of us who call upon the name of the Lord, are we doing it? Are we doing it in our congregation? Are we doing it with our kids? Are we doing it with our students? Are we doing it with adults? Are we doing every ministry that we have? Are we doing it when we go to our homes and to our neighborhoods and to our work do we know that the people that we encounter need jesus yeah well what are we doing so that they may know him how are we intentional with our faith the next thing that john points us to is looking like jesus looking like jesus he says, as he continues in verse 17, as he is, so also are we. Here's what we know at Judgment Day. God will not condemn those who are like his son. God will not condemn those whose identity is found in him. God will not condemn those whose lives have been bought and redeemed by the blood of the Lamb who were found in Christ, saved from their sin and who they are. But, but here's the tension with us. We can't live at odds with the character of Jesus, but claim to have salvation in the person of Christ. We can't claim to be recipients of his grace, but not begin to reflect who he is. In 1 John, 16 different times, he has said, abide in him. In 2 John, he will say it two more times in him, to abide in him. And when we abide in him, we remain in him, we continue in him, and we live like him. 
And as we are in him, we become like him. I want to ask you this question. As you see yourself, do you see Jesus? Do you see Jesus? Maybe it's an easier question to ask others. As we put on a facade, as we fake some good works and some good deeds, not saying that others can't, they do speak truth in our lives. But when we stand before who we are and see as the Spirit draws us, when we see ourselves, do we see Jesus? Are, the, are we the reflection and the embodiment of the work of the Spirit that we claim lives in us as followers of Christ? Do we let the fruit, of the, is the fruit of the Spirit seen in us as Paul writes about in Galatians 5? Did, or was what is seen in us the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control of the Lord? What do you see in your life? What do you see? And do you see Jesus? Are we abiding in him? 1 John 3, 2 through 3, we read this a couple weeks ago. It says, Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Look at the confidence that John writes in. We will be like him when he returns. When he appears, we shall be like him. He is our standard. He is our hope. He is what we cling to. But there's this fear. There's this fear that comes over some of us in the thought of the returning of Christ. Look back at 1 John 4, 18, the, one of the passages we, we read this morning. John writes, he says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. If there is confidence in perfected love, as John has just said, then there is fear where there is not love. Complete love removes fear. This is the, what the fruit of the confidence that we have, is that we're not afraid Fear has to do with punishment, not reward. And in the return of Christ is the return of the groom taking his bride. And it's the reward of him. And it's the reward that we long for. And the reward that gives us hope. And so when you see your life, what do you see? Do you see, as we talked about last week, a true confession of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? Not just words that we say, not just a box that we check, but what we find in ourselves is the contrite brokenness of the heart of our sinful condition and the desperate need to be saved. The realization that in spite of all that we try, that we cannot save ourselves and we need Jesus and Jesus alone to save us. And then that's confidence. And then from this love, do you love others? And that's a tricky question. 
view of others. And it's hard to define exactly how we do that, that separates the love that we know from the love that is experienced in our world through a lot of different means. But do we love from the love that God has shown us? Not out of obligation, not because we're forced to, do, not out of feeling because of how it will benefit me and make me feel about myself. Not loving out of a social construct of society that determines this is what we must do in order to be good people. But do we love from the love of God? From the overflow of who he is? And if that's the case, then what we experience is that fear is gone. Is that fear is gone. And lastly, I want us to look at verse 19. It says that gives us a proper perspective to look at this. And it says this, John says very simply, we love because he first loved us. Our acts of love never cause God to love us more. Our acts of love never determine God to say, oh, 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 didn't see that in them, but now I do. Now I love them. He first loved us. Last night, after the dryer debacle, my wife and I went out to dinner, had a wonderful, wonderful time together, went to a restaurant we'd never been to, ate a food that we hadn't had in like five years, just, just a great time, great conversation. Our early Valentine's Day, guys, it's coming, right? Be prepared, right? Early Valentine's Day. And I got to thinking this morning on my drive here, man, all this could have gone south years ago. Let me share with you, and I've shared this before, but it's been a long time since I've shared this before, about how my wife and I came to be a couple. A friend of mine said, hey, I've got a girl that I know that I would like to set you up on a blind date with. And I was single at the time. Sure. Well, if you're younger than me, let me explain about a time when social media didn't exist. And here's what a blind date meant. You didn't know, right? Because now, if there is such a thing as blind date, you're going to jump on social media. You're going to find out what they look like, what they're into, all of these things. Well, I didn't know. So it's truly a risk going out on a blind date. He said she was pretty. Sure, we'll go out on a date. Well, I've never claimed to be the smartest man in the world. So let me tell you what I did. The day of our first date, I had an opportunity to do something that I wanted to do. So, I stood her up. 
I know. I know. I felt the, oh, yep, that's what I did. That's what I did. Not only did I stand her up, I had someone else call her and tell her. Now, the look on my daughter's face, I can't look over there right now because it is just, it is filled with judgment right now. It is filled with it. And I stood her up, went and hung out with friends. And like a week later, two weeks later, talking to my friend, and I said, hey, you remember that girl you tried to set me up with? You think you could set me up with her? And like the look on his face was like, you serious? Like, you know what happened, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Why don't you, why don't you see? So he went and said something to her. And she said, absolutely not. No, uh-uh-uh-uh. So she went home. And to this, I love my mother-in-law. I love my mother-in-law. And to this day, this is, this is the number one reason why I love my mother-in-law. My wife came home, and she said to her mom, she said, can you believe that this guy who stood me up now is asking if we can go out on a date? And my mother-in-law, and I can hear it in her voice, said, well, Aaron... Maybe you should give him a try. <laughs> and she did. And she did. We met on December 15th of one of the least romantic places you could meet, but just wonderful with my parents watching my sister in a Christmas cantata at First Baptist North Augusta, right? And when I saw her for the first time, there was a spark in my heart that was rooted that that's who God had for me. And then it hit me how much work I had to do <laughs> in order to redeem what I had done. That's how so many of us approach the Lord. God, my past. There's no way that God could love me. There's no way that God could forgive me. There's no way that Jesus would die for me. I'm so unworthy. And what I need to do now is somehow prove that I'm worth it. What I need to do is somehow earn his love. What I need to do is put my love for him first and in the hope that he will love me. John says, we love. We love because he first loved us. He loved us so that we could love him. He loved us first. He loved us so that we could love others. He first loved us. Love that God has called us to originates in him and then he first loves us.
And then we know and we believe the love he has for us. We trust and find our hope in the love that he has for us in Christ. He abides in us so that we can abide in him and his love overflows from us and this is how we love. Our confidence as we stand before him is not found in who we are, but our confidence is in Jesus. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you so much of your love for your children. God, I thank you that while we were sinners, you loved us. And that, God, there's nothing that we did or nothing that we could do to earn your love. But, Father, you sent love in Christ, the Son, so that we could see love and that we could be saved by him. God, I pray that within us, Lord, there's the search that, Lord, your spirit is speaking to us, revealing to us who we are in Christ, that we are found and perfected and completed in you and in you alone, and that this love that we've experienced overflows from us, is active, is working, is moving, and it gives us, Lord, confidence that we see and know that we are yours and you are ours. And that, God, we give all the praise and honor and glory to you. because you first loved us. God, I pray this morning, I pray for anyone in this room whose heart is captured by fear. Lord, I pray that what they would surrender to Pray, Lord, would they come to the realization of? Lord, if there's fear, what they anticipate is judgment. What they anticipate is wrath. What they anticipate is punishment. But that's not found for those who are in you. And today, Lord, May through the drawing of your spirit, the drawing of their heart, be found in Christ and in Christ alone. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.
Thanks again for listening to the Willow Ridge Church weekly podcast. We hope that you enjoyed listening to this week's message. If you'd like to learn more about who we are or explore additional resources, visit us online at www.willowridgechurch.com or by searching for Willow Ridge Church on Facebook and Instagram.